It is really amazing, isn't it, how one can have such profoundly good intentions and then not be able to live into them. It's remarkable how you can believe yourself capable of such virtuous action in one moment and then find yourself under pressure, unable to live into that desire. I think of the story of the young chaplain who was working his way through a major metropolitan hospital. He was visiting down a list of established uh, patient clients, as it were, when he passed by the bedside of an individual who was not on the list. The man's face was so haunted, it caught the young pastor's attention. And, And he stopped, and he noticed that not only did the man have these searching, vacant eyes, but his wrists were bandaged. And the chaplain approached the bed and began the conversation. It turns out that this particular uh, gentleman in the bed had had a tremendously uh, messy turn of events in his life. He had been having an affair with a a woman outside of his marriage. His wife had discovered it. Uh, She had left him. He had not been uh, terribly concerned about that because his affections lay with this much younger woman. And then the younger woman promptly left him, saying that she really had never been more interested in anything other than a casual affair. This had thrown this individual into a spiraling depression of pain. He realized he'd now lost everything, his family, his his romantic love, and uh, it had led him ultimately to try and take his own life. Uh, Overwhelmed by these feelings of stupidity and loss and failure, the man saw no point and even going on. But the young pastor talked with him at great length, encouraged him, told him that God could bring about significant changes for him, that this could be a turning point in his life. And for the gentleman in the, in the bed, it was a brightening moment. He began to take hold of hope again and to, and to begin to imagine the possibility of a different trail from here. The young pastor said, that he would stay in touch with him. He'd be back uh, in the next day or two to check up on him, and then the chaplain went on his way. Uh, The next day came. The young pastor was uh, caught up in a number of emergencies and needs that uh, demanded his attention, and it frankly slipped his mind. He never got back to the hospital as he had intended to. The day following, he Uh, went outside of the door of his home and picked up the newspaper and walked in and sat down at breakfast and began to read through the newspaper and saw there on the front page a story that just about stopped his heart. Uh, It turns out that a suicidal patient from a nearby hospital had checked out the day before. He had gone to the apartment building of his former mistress, broken in, stabbed her six times, and taken his own life. And the young pastor was beyond devastated by his failure. And I know this because I was the young pastor who had such good intentions of following through with my faithfulness and somehow could not, did not, would not.
There is a painting that depicts the Apostle Peter at a moment like this in his life. In the portrait, Peter is leaning against the wall of the courtyard near to where Jesus is being tried for his life. It has only been a very short while since Peter has very boldly declared his faithfulness to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, said Peter to his master, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, said the rock unto his Lord. And now just hours later, Peter has failed to make good on his word, not just once, not just twice, three separate times. He has done the very thing that he vowed he would not do. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. He swore to them a third time, I don't know him, said Peter. And the artist of this particular painting captures this moment of realization, this moment of reckoning brilliantly, I think. The fisherman's head is cast down. His shoulders are hunched up in stress and in grief. His hands are covering his face, maybe to hide his identity from others, possibly to cover up his tears, maybe both. But what I remember most about the painting are the apostles' feet. Peter is standing, if you look carefully, he's standing up to his ankles in mud. It's not clear whether the rain has come down now to compound his troubles and left him standing in the muck and the mire. Was it perhaps the flood of tears that were so intense, the artist intends to render, that result in the tremendous morass in which he is now standing? But the detail that the artist includes here makes one thing very poetically clear. Peter the would-be rock has proven to be made of much, much softer stuff. And I wonder if that isn't true of all of us. At our very best moments, we make these great promises. We have enormously good intentions. We plan to deliver on what we've pledged maybe exceed expectations. Maybe our marriage then goes from better to bad to worse, and we find we are not holding it together any longer. Or the family is counting on us. We've got kids with mouths to feed, tuitions to be paid, They're depending on us to keep the money coming in like we've planned. But we lose our job, or our fortunes reverse, and we don't deliver. Or a friend trusts us with a confidence. It's it's issued in a holy moment of confession and sharing. We recognize the significance and the holiness of what they've shared. But then in a moment of carelessness, we blurt out their secret to somebody else, or we drop the ball badly at work when our teammates were depending on us, or we screw up tremendously, we let the kids down after having promised to be there and to do for them, 
and to be with them as they have needed from us. Or we grieve the parents who gave us life from their own loins and somehow the pressures of our life come crowding in and we deny the commitment that we once made so earnestly to our Lord, to other people, even to our very selves. And suddenly, the cock crows upon our lives too. And we know that our name is mud. We know it. We can't escape it. Were betrayals like this the final word about us, I suppose we would have very little reason not to just weep the night away and maybe even do harm to ourselves. But God has the last word in this universe of ours. And and that is as true today as it was by the bedside of that hospital patient even though I failed miserably in my duties. The truth is that God is the God of second chances. He is the God of renewal. He is the God of the next mile, of the recovered opportunity. In an article that he wrote for Focus on the Family magazine some years back, Donald McCullough shared some wisdom about the nature of mud that I think it's vital not to miss. And one of the insights he shares involves the story of a a minor league baseball team whose manager became so disgusted with the performance of his center fielder that he actually ordered the player off the field, down into the dugout, and the manager went out to play center field himself. He's going to show him. Well, the first ball, first fly ball that is hit to center field takes a particularly bad hop off the turf and smacks the manager right in the mouth, leaving him with this great big, fat, and bloodied lip. The next shot to center field is a towering fly ball which he somehow manages to lose in the sun until he's able to to, to find the ball as it caroms off the bridge of his nose. The next shot is a short line drive to short center field. And this one, he charges with zeal to overcome the errors of the past, his glove outstretched, and just misses the ball as it conveniently lands and is caught in his right eye socket. Furious, the manager now runs back to the dugout, and he grabs the benched player by the scruff of his uniform, and he shakes him, and he says, you've got center field so messed up, even I can't do something with it. There's something about failure that's hard to live up to. There's something about failure that's hard to face. To really face beyond the excuses and the explanations and the rationalizations, there's something about failure 
that makes us want to run away and resist and, and rationalize. Some of us will twist things around almost any way we can to avoid looking into the truth. And that is a shame because when we avoid responsibility for failure, when we avoid responsibility for those times we have not followed through, we've not lived up to the promises that we have made, we not only hurt somebody else, fail them further. We cheat ourselves immeasurably. Do you remember how Jesus once rubbed mud into a man's eye in order to help him see? We read in one of the stories that Jesus makes uh, mud out of dirt and his own spit, and he rubs it in the blind man's eyes, and it enables him to see. And there is, I think, a wonderful parable in that. It's almost as if Christ is saying to us here that sometimes we have to study the dirt very closely before we see the light. Sometimes it's only as we look deeply at the drama and, the, and the, the, the dirt of our failure that we can see beyond it to the potential of the future, the needs for change. Charles Cummings observes that the immediate supernatural usefulness of our failure is to teach us how poor, vulnerable, needy, naked, and fragile we really are. Because without such suffering... We would all go on living in the complacent illusion of having kept it all together through skillful management and superior preparation. Ouch. Ouch, I know that feeling. Cummings goes on and writes, the hurt that shatters that illusion is useful because it collapses the house of cards, our ego has painstakingly erected and carefully held in balance for so long. The shock of failure is enough to bring the whole structure down on our head and leave us exposed to the sun and the rain and the wind. It is frightening to be exposed to the elements of accountability like that. If you've been there, you know this. How can I ever hold my face up, my head up again in public, we think in those moments. How am I ever going to face those other disciples, Peter must have thought to himself. My God, my God, what a blowhard I am. But then one of the funny things about mud is that it can actually help us recover our sight. To see ourselves for who we really are a sinner in need of grace, a person for whom the gospel is needed every bit as much as those other people out there, a person desperately in need of continuing grace. I've got this theory that the church of Jesus Christ was not really born on the triumphant day of Pentecost when Peter and the rest of the disciples realized their spiritual gifts I have this theory that the, that the church's birthday was really on that dismal day when pompous Peter and the others failed our Lord and thereby recognized their personal need for a Savior. 
Have you made that realization in your own life? How recent, how, how real is it for you that you too need a savior? We live in a society where it is so commonplace to cover blemishes up with makeup, to disguise real losses with creative accounting, to deal with errors of judgment by spin doctoring, to feign self-assurance when really you are struggling, to write off the heinous acts of people by the pressures that were on them or the disadvantages of childhood. But as followers of Jesus, we have to be people who stand for something else. We need to be people who are not afraid to admit that we are people with feet of clay, who stand in the mud. It's why we often offer prayers of confession in our worship service. It's why we, in spite of the invitation people regularly give me to to get rid of that confession part of the worship service because it's so depressing. It's why we keep putting it in there. We need to be reminded that the church is not a society of saints. It is a fellowship of sinners. We all have a long way to go, still. But we have a Savior who makes the journey possible. Which brings us to a second funny thing about mud. We often seem to meet God more fully there. Isn't it true? It's so much more often that we that we meet God in that particular place of failure than in the moments of bright sunshine. John Taylor writes, it's worth remembering that the root of the words humiliation and humility is humus, which of course is a polite word for fertilizer. We meet God more often in the manure of failure than in the mountaintop of success. And isn't that true? Think about your own life. How many of us can point to the last time we redecorated the house or won a big business deal as one of our closest moments with the Creator? How many of us can, can, can identify that our most significant personal moments of growth happened while we were sipping champagne. Go ahead and raise your hand if you feel like the richest spiritual experience you've had in recent years involves somebody noticing your sheer brilliance (laughs) and how beautifully you keep it all together. Now consider the verse, how many of us have felt God's most transforming touch most powerfully when we were up to our armpits in mud, when your home life was going to pieces, when you faced up to a brutal moral failure or a terrible persistent character weakness or a debilitating addiction, how many of you know it was when all the comforts and the pleasures that you had acquired had somehow failed to make your kids little saints or to fill you with the abiding peace the product advertisers promised you. But you found yourself in that messy, difficult place of your life, met by a God and by people who accepted and loved you in the midst of your brokenness. 
And you were embraced by a grace that offered you forgiveness for your past and help for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That grace is here for you right now. Okay? No matter what's going on in your life, that grace, forgiveness for your past, help for today, bright hope for tomorrow, is here for you. Eager to catch you up in its everlasting arms. Eager to express itself to you through the people around you right now. God meets us in the mud. It's not because he can't be found on the mountaintop. He can be. It's just when we're down in the dirt, we're far more likely to notice our company than when we're on the mountain peak admiring our view. And it is establishing a companionship with us that Jesus wants most. It's why Jesus spent so much time, if you think about it, mucking about with prostitutes and working class bums and sick people and misfits. They had time for him. They knew their lives needed changing, needed a power from beyond themselves. Do we? Do we? If the answer to those questions is yes, yeah, I really need that grace, then there may be a third and final thing about mud that will interest you. In his powerful novel, Christ Recrucified, Nikos Kazantzakis paints a scene in which there are four villagers who confess their sins to one another before their priest. One of the men, Michelis by name, cries out, how can God let us live on the earth? Why doesn't he just kill us to purify the creation? And the clergyman answers, because, Michelis, God is a potter. He works in mud. It's what he does. Please believe that for yourself and share it with everybody else who needs to know it. Do not think that your failures or your flaws are the last word about you. Do not give in to the lie that human nature is what it is and people can never really change. History, history demonstrates otherwise. There's this legend that every time the apostle Uh, Peter preached, uh, went out preaching after the day of Pentecost, that somebody in the crowd, a heckler, would crow like a rooster, just to remind him of who he really was. But that taunt became the testimony of the early church. It became the testimony to the God who loves to work with clay. And the record shows that under the fire and the pressure of the Holy Spirit, the man of mud became the rock of the early church who would not deny his Lord, 
under pain of death and rallied a dispirited, beleaguered church to stand up before the tyrannies of its time. Capturing the truth behind that amazing transformation and so many others like it down through history, theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once observed, the gospel of Jesus is not a gospel of obvious success, but of ultimate success through obvious failures. So let me ask you in closing a few questions. What is the obvious failure in your life that needs confessing, facing, and admitting? What is that obvious failure you want to put into the shaping hands of the maker? What is that vice you know you need to abandon? What is that sin that has been a secret burden to you but you've not confessed to anybody and you need to find somebody safe to tell it to to seek God's forgiveness? What is that important task that you've been putting off that you're failing to get to that needs completing What is that troubled relationship that needs the hard work of reconciliation that you've been running away from? What is that part of your Christian witness you've been neglecting perhaps for years? Where is there a parent or a child that you've let down and you need to return to? Whatever it is, wherever it is, do not give up. For even if the rooster has crowed the word failure 3,000 times across the muck and the mire of your life, refuse to despair, for your God is the master craftsman of ultimate success. And I will tell you the most amazing thing about mud of awe. It is what slowly improving disciples are made of. Please pray with me. Great and glorious God of redemption. Open our eyes to the truth which has been the source of courage to your people throughout the generations. That we have indeed been given the treasure of life in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power for victory is of you and not of us. Mold us and make us to be in every way just a bit more like Jesus today. For we pray these things in his holy name. And all God's people said,
Amen.